I'm former FBI Assistant Director Frank Figluzzi. Join me on a journey deep inside the world's premier law enforcement agency to decode the mysteries and challenges of today's FBI. The threats facing America are as real as the men and women who battle to protect us. In this first-of-a-kind podcast, we sit down with active-duty FBI personnel who reveal their mission, their cases, and their lives. Let's go inside the Bureau with Frank Figluzzi. Basic and advanced firearms training for new agent candidates. The FBI provides some of the best firearms training in the world. 67,000 plus firearms in the FBI. It's as important to know when not to shoot as it is to know when to shoot. The most important thing we teach is the escalation and de-escalation and the proper use of both of those in everyday encounters. Turns them into a highly proficient shooter. We hire people that are already amazing and we expect amazing things from them. The ultimate responsibility of a law enforcement officer is to protect the lives of others and themselves against deadly threats. Sometimes that means the use of deadly force, the firing of a weapon, before that kind of force is used against him or a civilian. Today we'll talk to FBI leaders who oversee the FBI's firearms programs the training and instruction of new agents and onboard agents, the selection of weapons and weapons systems throughout the FBI, and the fascinating research that goes into finding just the right weapon to protect themselves and to protect us. We're really happy today to have with us Section Chief Rob Guyton over the instruction section of the FBI. We're going to learn from him about the duties and responsibilities of his role so that the FBI gets it right when it comes to perhaps its most ultimate responsibility. And then we've got Unit Chief Rich Taylor. Rich Taylor uh, heads the firearms unit for the FBI. We're going to learn about their journey into the Bureau and what they do to keep us all safe. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Thanks for allowing us to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us, Frank. Of course. So I start always with the personal side, uh, learning about where leaders came from into the FBI, their journey into the Bureau, and then what they've done um, once they've joined the FBI. The diversity of experience there is always amazing. The motivation uh, to sign up for this role, uh, this vocation, as I call it, is always interesting to our listeners. Let's start with you, Rob. Tell us about your path into the Bureau. Certainly. Frank, thanks again for having us. So again, my name's Rob Guyton. I'm the section chief of the instruction section of the training division at the FBI Academy in Quantico. My section oversees many facets of the training that, that we'll get into later on. But uh, I've been in the FBI for 18 and a half years. Uh, I've been in five different field offices and a couple of different headquarters divisions. Um, so I have a you know vast array of knowledge uh, from around the Bureau and lots of experiences. Prior to being in the FBI, I was a police officer in California for 10 years. And my motivation for coming to the FBI was my grandfather entered into the FBI in 1948. My uncle started in the FBI in 1971 and 
retired after 32 years of dedicated service, eight days before I showed up to new agents training at Quantico. That is an awesome story. I We've had guests on the podcast who's whose dads and, and uncles were FBI agents, but you're the first one uh, who's told us that their grandfather was an FBI agent and the stories um, they must have had uh, must have been amazing. Once you signed on, Rob, tell us uh, what your assignments were. Work, work, work us through the uh, how you got to be a section chief. Sure. So right out of new agents training, I was assigned to the Albany field office and the Kingston RA and Throughout my career, what you'll see is the pattern is I have been assigned to resident agencies, which for the viewers are smaller offices of the major um, divisions that we have out there. So I was always assigned to a smaller office. So my job, it was much more important for me to work alongside state and local law enforcement in order to accomplish the mission. So I went from the Albany field office, Kingston RA, to the Phoenix field office, Tucson RA. And from there, I went to FBI headquarters as a supervisor in the MS-13 National Gang Task Force. I spent almost three years working in every Central American country, setting up transnational anti-gang units to help defeat international criminal uh, organizations. From there, I went to the Sacramento field office, Bakersfield RA, as a supervisor in the field. Uh, And I oversee counterterrorism, violent crime, public corruption, all the programs with the exception of counterintelligence. From there, I went to CEGIS as a unit chief of global initiatives, which is basically where the FBI goes out and collects biometrics from foreign countries to help us identify terrorists. From there, I went back to the Sacramento field office in the Fresno RA as the violent crime supervisor and started up a safe streets task force. And it was the most productive safe streets task force um, in the field office, as well as in the state of California at the time. So we did some great work out there and and, uh, really made an impact on the citizens of the Central Valley um, by reducing gang crime. From there, I went to the Buffalo field office as the assistant special agent in charge of the criminal and administrative programs. Um, So I got to oversee all the great work that they were doing there in Buffalo. And then from Buffalo, I came, I was promoted to section chief of the instruction section at the training division, um, where I proudly get to oversee the instruction of all our new agent trainees and new intelligence analyst trainees. Well, you've you've got an awesome responsibility there uh, in terms of just equipping new FBI employees, agents with everything they need to to hit the streets and hit their field offices ready to go. And uh, your background speaks to that, the diversity of experience. Our listeners should know that it's not with all of the resident agency experience. Those are those satellite offices that answer to field offices. You you can see lots of RAs, as they're called, in Rob's background. And it's not unusual at all for someone who has spent a lengthy period before the FBI as a police officer to get assigned to RAs and to enjoy RA life, as they say, because of the close interaction and, and reliance on police partners, often in some remote places um, where you can't rely on an entire FBI field office. 
to get your job done. So, Rob, take us a little deeper into the entire section that you lead. It's got it's got kind of a broad title, instruction section, training division. What does all of that entail? Frank, absolutely. The instruction section is the biggest section at the FBI Academy, and we are responsible for the training of all new agent trainees, new intelligence analyst trainees, to include all of their classroom instruction. I have two units who are responsible for that. And then all of their law enforcement skills instruction, which includes the physical training unit, the practical applications unit, the tactical training unit, which also includes our emergency vehicle operations, our tactical emergency vehicle operations center, and the firearms training unit that Rich runs. So on top of all of that, with the instruction of all these folks, the instruction section also oversees the weapons management facility, which is two parts. We handle all of the weapons, ammunition, and ballistic armor for the entire organization, as well as the other half is the ballistics research facility, where we're in charge of research development and evaluation of all the weapons, ammunition, and armor for the or for the organization, as well as the whole uh, law enforcement community. A lot of responsibility in the entire section, and uh, we're glad someone like you with your experience is heading that up. Um, thanks for sharing that, Rob. Rich, uh, we're interested in, in hearing about your journey to the Bureau. Tell us where you've been and what you're doing. Good morning, Frank. Thanks for having me. I served 12 years in the Marine Corps as a signals intelligence intercept operator and an instructor for that particular MOS for Navy and Marine Corps students. I got out of the Marines in 2000 and immediately went right into the FBI. Uh, I started in a, an offsite, a nondescript offsite, just outside of D.C., working Title III matters and um, FBI surveillance issues. So and for, for our to, listeners, for our listeners, uh, and I know, boy, we are experts at throwing acronyms and, <laughs> and abbreviations at people. Title III refers to legally authorized uh, wiretaps, electronic intercepts, and that becomes a skill set um, in, in itself and often speaks to the caliber of the investigation and the level of complexity if you're able to convince a federal judge that it's time, it's time to go to a wiretap. Just wanted to throw that in. That is correct. And in 2002, I went to the FBI Academy and signed to my first office in El Paso, Texas, working criminal enterprises and gangs, and went from El Paso to the training division to be a firearms instructor for new agents, and did that for a couple years, and then went to D.C., to Washington, D.C. headquarters, and worked with the Director of Intelligence over program management over field office intelligence programs. After about three years of that, I ended up becoming a supervisory agent over a small RA belonging to the Springfield Division, which is just outside of East St. Louis, a little town called Fairview Heights. Did that for about five and a half years, and during that time, I actually did a one-year TDY up to the headquarters inspection office, traveling around doing field inspections and agent-involved shootings. After that, I got my dream job, which is to be the unit chief of the firearms training unit. I've been waiting for the last 10 years for it to open up. It did. I was selected, and now I'm living the dream. <laughs> All right, so now tell us about that dream job and what it entails. What does the firearms training unit do for a living? What's, what's your mission? So the whole unit right now is a little bit over of 
a team of over 35 veteran firearms instructors and administrative support that conduct basic and advanced firearms training for new agent candidates, as well as firearms training for the bureau-wide. So we start with those people that want to become a special agent and come into the FBI. And that's a very big challenge as well as very motivational and encouraging for the rest of us because you want to mold and shape these people into being great people and doing great things and then keeping them safe their whole career while at the same time you're working with all the agents in the field to keep their skills up, whether it be firearms or tactics or defensive training or physical fitness so that they're always able and ready to do their job. Yeah, and I don't, I, maybe humility and, uh, and lack of uh, braggadocia will prevent our guests from saying this, but I'm going to say it. I personally believe the FBI provides some of the best firearms training in the world in terms of law enforcement. And as someone who had to live that during my street experience, I was thankful frequently that I had that caliber of training. And as we see things play out in the news, uh, seemingly almost every week about use of force or, or, or lack of training, it just keeps coming back to me, the gratitude that I had for the high caliber of training, which does not come cheap. Uh, it's, it's expensive to get people trained up the way FBI agents are, but it's, it's well worth it. All right, let's hit pause for a 60-second break to talk about your safety and security. Imagine if every crime could be halted before it happened. Well, while you can't stop every criminal in their tracks, what if you could deter them? That's what SimpliSafe's new wireless outdoor security camera does. It's wireless so it can install anywhere, extending SimpliSafe's perimeter of defense from your windows and doors to the far corners of your property. That's right. Simply Safe, the system that U.S. News and World Report names best home security system of 2021, just got even better. This brand new outdoor security camera is engineered with all the advanced tech to help keep you and your family safe. It has an ultra wide 140 degree field of view, so you can keep watch over your entire yard. It has a 1080p HD resolution with an 8x zoom. That means you can zoom in and clearly see things like faces and license plates to capture critical evidence. And it has an easy to remove, rechargeable battery, so it doesn't need an outlet and can go anywhere on your property. This camera has it all, and it integrates with your Simply Safe home security system, extending its protection to the outside. Together, it means every door, window, and room are protected. And now, your property will be too. To learn more about the exciting new Simply Safe wireless outdoor security camera, visit simplysafe.com/bureau. Simply Safe is offering 20% off your entire new system and your first month of monitoring service free when you enroll in interactive monitoring. Again, that's simplysafe.com slash bureau. Now let's get back to our discussion. Let's talk about the weapons themselves. We're going to have listeners on here who, who, who know nothing about firearms. And then we're going to have folks attracted to the topic because they may be uh, a firearms aficionado or collector. So let's try to straddle that um, with, an, with an error on the side of folks not knowing a whole lot of nomenclature about weapons. Tell us, 
what is in the FBI inventory? What's an agent carrying on their hip these days? What are the weapons they have access to? And, and, under, and let's understand where all of the work you guys do comes into selecting just the right weapons for them. Frank, all FBI agents right now are being issued and have been issued for a couple of years now the Glock 19 9mm handgun, which is Glock's compact version of a handgun. There's a larger and a smaller version, but we're issuing out the Glock 19 and 9mm to all agents. And then all agents also have accessibility to have a an FBI carbine in the 5.56 millimeter. Now, this carbine is an AR, an armor light rifle, and all those carbines are actually built by the FBI. They're a specifically built firearm by the FBI gunsmith for the FBI. Yeah, so um, that may surprise some folks that that degree of research and specification goes into getting it right. Um, and I, I want to learn more about that. How do you arrive at your specifications? How do you say, we, you know, this off-the-shelf thing's not quite what we want? And what's the, what's the research and incorporation of actual shooting incidents, for example, that goes into putting out specifications saying this is what our agents should carry on the street. So, Frank, the FBI has a, the renowned ballistic research facility belonging to the Defensive Systems Unit. That facility is recently relocated to Huntsville, Alabama. That ballistic research facility has been in operation since the early 70s. And they conduct testing on terminal ballistics of all the FBI service and training ammunition. And then about every four or five years, ammunition manufacturers are allowed to compete against the FBI standards in a request for a product requested by the FBI. And when all these ammunition companies compete with that ammunition, a specific ammunition is tested and selected for the performance. And then after that ammunition is selected, a separate competition and procurement of a handgun is conducted. And the handgun that passes all of the tests with the highest score is what is chosen by the FBI. And about six years ago, that uh, weapon was the Glock 19 pistol that the FBI is currently using right now. The current handgun ammunition that is also used by the FBI, as along with those handguns that we use, are all the most dependable handgun and ammunition that the FBI has ever utilized at this point. So it's, th this is an important point. This isn't just about the weapon. You could have the greatest uh, firearm in the world and load it with subpar ammunition, and you're going to get a subpar result from that. So your research, uh, if I hear you correctly, also goes into specifying that round, that bullet that's going to be loaded. Is that right? That is correct. Yep. And so I, I'm not sure any other law enforcement agency, at least in the United States, is conducting this kind of extensive research on an ongoing basis into weapon systems, guns, ammo. That, I, I'm going to think that that's got to result in lots of police agencies coming to you saying, hey, can we take a peek at your research and results? Does that happen? Do police departments and other agencies reach out to you? Do you share that data? What's that collaboration look like? Absolutely, Frank. We get over 50 requests a week from local, state, federal, and international law enforcement agencies looking for 
our research and our findings as it pertains to weapon systems, ammunition, and armor. We take requests from virtually any law enforcement agency, and we will do the testing for them, do the evaluation, write up a report, and submit that back. And that is available to all our law enforcement partners for their studies. In addition, we work closely with all of the Department of Justice components. And for the first time ever, we have the U.S. Marshal Service, the ATF, and the DEA co-located in our weapons management facility so that they can be part of not only the research development and evaluation of all of these weapons, ammo, and ballistic armor systems, but they sit alongside of us and our gunsmiths, um, and they have adopted all of our weapon systems, ammunition, and ballistic armor. And in addition to that, we also provide tactical training to our state, local, and international partners um, in the form of law enforcement training for safety and survival, which has gone a long way in the long, law enforcement community in keeping our local, state, and international partners safe. Uh, specifically, uh, there's some new vehicle tactical training that we have done, and you know, way back in the day, almost 28 years ago now, when I did that training, it looks completely different today. And because of that, we've had several success stories where officers' lives have been saved based on this new training. That's what means the most, and that's when you know you've had some success. Tell us some of the things that's on the, uh, I'm, 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 I'm seeing in my mind the old uh, form that had to get filled out. All the conditions when a shooting incident occurred, lighting conditions, time of day, distance from the person that you were engaging with. Were you moving? Were they moving? Give us a feel for that, that level of specificity of things you look at. So you know, Frank, that the shooting incident review team that goes out on every shooting that the FBI has is very detailed in everything they do to include things like the weather, the people that were involved, interviews of everyone that was seen and everyone that was interviewed that was involved with the shooting, finding out what led up to it, the predication, the cases that were being active, anything you could think about that was planned, was it a planned operation? Was it just something with an interview or was it somebody off duty in the street? Every consideration is taken and then documented and all that data is reserved. And then again, there's a shooting review board after all the data is collected that makes a determination on whether the actions of the agent were acceptable and forthright. Mm. Yeah. And, and during, certainly during my career, there were changes to our training because of observations collected, data collected saying, Hey, we, we're not doing that. We're not, we're not shooting at bad guys from 50 yards away. Why, why are we doing that in training? That, that kind of thing I saw applied fairly regularly. Well, we're talking, we're talking about guns. Let's talk about how many there are out there in the FBI's inventory. Uh, what an agent is permitted to have um, access to. What's the total inventory we're talking about? So, Frank, the weapons management facility is responsible for overseeing 67,000-plus firearms in the FBI. Um, that includes um, everything for our SWAT teams, our hostage rescue team, our agents on the street to include handguns and carbines, 
um, as well as personally owned weapons that the agents may be able to carry off duty. Mm. Yeah, I, I I know back early uh, in in my career, I had just come on board uh, right after the infamous FBI Miami shooting, which um, injured several agents and took the life of two agents. And can you recall any of the changes that might have come out of that in terms of uh, weapons not being stored in longer guns not being stored in a trunk of a car, for example, or moving them into the car or, or the, the, a move toward semi-automatic pistols versus revolvers. Are, uh, do I have that right? Things like that get incorporated after a real-life incident? You're correct. And that particular incident made a lot of changes within the FBI, specifically with ammunition and handguns. We were still using the shotgun before that and after that, but the ammunition type changed. Handgun ammunition started being a lot more paid attention to as far as what its ability to do is. A lot of scientific data was pulled from that Miami shooting that gave us things to think about in the long run. There was also immediately after that a new qualification course based off the distances and the styles of shooting that happened during that particular event that for years we used a new qualification course based off of what we saw in that particular event. Got it. Let's hit pause so I can talk about Raycon earbuds. I've got my own pair of Raycons and they're great. There's a lot going on in the world, whether it's stuff you're excited about, like maybe the Cleveland Browns so far this season, or stuff you'd rather not think about, like what is or is not happening inside the DC Beltway. You can't always control the vibes out there, but you can always control the vibes in your head with a pair of Raycon wireless earbuds in your ears. Whether I'm working out or just going for a walk, chances are you'll see me wearing my Raycons. Whether you use them to pump up, wind down, work, or work out, Raycons will be your go-to for on-the-go audio. And the new everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever with an improved rubber oil look and a feel that's really cool. They've got optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit. These are impressive before you even start listening. You get three new sound profiles to make sure everything you're listening to sounds its best with just the right amount of bass. There's pure mode for podcast listening, blues, and instrumentals. There's balanced mode for podcasts, for rock, for heavy rock and metal. And there's bass mode for hip-hop, EDM, and reggae. There's also an all-new awareness mode for when you need to listen to your surroundings instead. Raycons offer eight hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. There's also a built-in mic, and you can take calls on your earbuds at the press of a button. Raycons start at half the price of other premium audio brands, but they sound just as good. And Raycons come with a 45-day happiness guarantee. Right now, listeners of this podcast can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash frank. That's buyraycon, R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash frank to save 15% on Raycons. Buyraycon.com slash frank. Let's take a moment so we can chat about Audible. If you're listening to podcasts, you may prefer listening to your books. 
Sometimes there's a greater connection to the subject matter, the author, and the story when I listen to the books on my reading list. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment all in one place. At Audible, you find the largest selection of audiobooks, from bestsellers and new releases to business, motivation, and more, including, well, my own bestseller, The FBI Way, Inside the Bureau's Code of Excellence. You'll find it and thousands more titles on Audible. I listen to Audible when I'm on long drives or if I'm logging some miles on the treadmill. It helps me make the best use of my time. And as an Audible member, you'll get one credit every month good for any title in the entire premium selection. The latest bestsellers, new releases, or that certain title you've been meaning to pick up. Those titles are yours to keep forever. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Because you're listening to The Bureau with Frank Figluzzi, just visit audible.com slash bureau or text bureau to 500-500. Now let's get back to our guest. Let's uh, let's uh, try to give our listeners a feel for how the FBI takes someone like me, someone who had virtually no exposure to handguns before I came into the FBI, and turns them into a highly proficient shooter. What what's that process look like? So Frank, we we get to see the new agents from the the day they get here, and then on their first firearm destruction, we have a little talk with them about what our expectations are. And, and I'll tell, tell you, just like I tell them, the FBI prides itself on hiring amazing people. We don't hire someone that's just off the street and turn them into an amazing agent. We hire people that are already amazing, and we expect amazing things from them. So we bring these people in that want to be a new agent, and we have put them in an 18-week course consisting of multiple disciplines, including legal, investigative, defensive tactics, physical training, tactical training, and firearms. Firearms training is the single largest discipline during the academy with more than 108 hours of training. And the students that come in there, about half of them have some kind of experience with a handgun and half of them don't have any kind of experience with a handgun. The training for them starts with the basic fundamentals. And because they're already amazing people, they quickly progress into using and understanding the fundamentals and then off to more of an advanced form of training. So it's, it's an amazing set of training. The students qualify with the handgun and the carbine before they ever graduate. They get high quality and professional instructions from professional firearms instructors, and they leave the academy competent and confident in their firearm skills. Yeah, it's an amazing process. And I, and I would say that I, you know, speaking personally, you, you leave the academy with, with two simultaneous things that have happened with regard to firearms training. One is you're feeling extremely confident in your abilities and proficiencies, yet at the same time, you are keenly aware of this awesome responsibility you have and the need to get it right in terms of judgment, for example. Let's go back and revisit this whole research and real life, taking real life examples and and applying it. We talked we probably haven't talked about it enough about the ammunition. Um, you mentioned it, but I want to go back to that because part of the judgment an agent has to exercise is 
not only what am I shooting at, but what's behind what I'm shooting at? What's the repercussion of this round, this bullet passing through what I'm shooting at and hitting something else that doesn't need to be hit? And how much of that goes into not only training, but the selection of that round of ammunition so that it's not this all-powerful bullet that's going to just keep on going? What does, does that factor in? Yes, it does. It, and being former military, we always had a lot of ammunition in rifles that we were using in handguns. And the desire of that ammunition was just to punch holes into people. And we had arguments for a number of years over whether it was foot pounds of energy or whether it was shot placement. And there's a lot of things to consider. And what we teach the new agents is precision shot placement with the best ammunition that we can get. And that ammunition that we get has been tested to eliminate a threat as quickly as possible by shooting in those particular areas that we know are vulnerable. And that bullet is designed to go between 12 to 18 inches. It is not designed to go completely through a person and just leave a hole and go. It's designed to go in and expel its energy into that individual and cause some trauma inside the person. And that's where we're going to get a reaction to start eliminating the threat and change that person's mind into what they were planning on doing now to compliance. And so the ammunition that we're using is designed, it's, it's a safe and effective way of trying to reduce other casualties. And again, it's not a bullet that we plan on just going straight through people, although it does happen. And we've had cases where bullets have gone through individuals. But those bullets, too, have gone through the individual and stopped immediately after before ever hitting anything else. And some of those bullets have actually stopped in the clothing of the individuals after they pass through it. So they're pretty effective in what they do in the body. And then they're not penetrating it far and going into other individuals or other buildings or hurting other people. Yeah, I think for the, many of our listeners are hearing for the first time that level of detail and research that goes into not just the gun, but the ammunition and that thought process of we only want to neutralize this threat. We do not under uh, any circumstances that we can, we can have a say about to be involved in hitting innocence. Uh, all of this has to be done right. And uh, the Bureau gets it right much of the time, if not most of the time. Let's talk about after the Academy experience and throughout an agent's career, how do you maintain proficiency in the field? So Frank, I, I will tell you that the best firearms training that agents in the FBI ever get is probably right here at instruction section where they get the best of all training, the tactical training, defensive tactics training, the physical training, because they, once they leave here, it's their responsibility to seek out that training and to improve themselves. So the best quality training they're getting is right here at the academy. And once they leave, FBI agents are required to qualify four times a year with that handgun. And they are afforded multiple opportunities for advanced training with both the handgun and carbine. Every field office has a cadre of veterans firearms instructors, as well as defensive tactics instructors and tactical instructors that all provide deadly force training. So once they leave the academy, they are encouraged and actually required to attend training on a regular basis so that they can maintain their skills and in many cases still improve their abilities. Yeah, that, that makes sense. It's got a, that muscle memory. They, the instincts have to be continued to be maintained. 
All right. So training is, is such an essential part of, of getting, getting it right uh, on the street. And, and we just see the stories play out all the time about things that look like there may have been a lack of training in that department or this department or with a particular officer. Tell us some of the success stories in terms of feedback you get. You know, you often may lose sight of agents once they leave the hallowed halls of the FBI Academy. But what's what's the real life stories that come back to you that say, you know, maybe maybe we did that right. What can you share with us? In the last few years, we've had several young agents that go immediately out to the field that have been involved in deadly force encounters. And those are encounters were almost identical to the actual training scenarios we put the students through. And one of those students was just in about a little over a year and a half ago was in New York on a surveillance of a location and something unrelated happened real close by and he was attacked by gang members and his training kicked in and he was able to return fire and remove the threat. We had another shooting of a young agent that left to go to their new field office in Albuquerque. And before they even showed up at their field office was and found himself in a deadly force encounter protecting himself and the life of another fellow agent and was able to eliminate the threat. What's good about this is that both those agents survived with the training that they had been given and then contacted the unit back here and said, hey, literally, that training you gave me saved our lives. We've actually been able to see the videos of these particular shootings and we use those videos now in training the new agent to show them what exactly can happen and what the realities of a gunfight is. Yeah, that's a good day when the training all comes together and saves lives and that turning that into a teachable moment for others at the academy is is so critical. You know, this is deadly serious business. Uh, How often does an FBI agent uh, or FBI agents, do they experience a shooting incident? What's the data tell you? The FBI just completed a 10-year shooting review, and we are still compiling the data. But what I can tell you right now is that the FBI, over 10 years, averaged a shooting a month. So every month, an agent is getting involved in a deadly force encounter with a firearm. Yeah, it's a, I don't have to tell you, it's an increasingly violent society that we live in um, and the, the encounters are our life and death in, encounters. And it's all, it's all about the training that, that you and your team provide. It's also all about judgment. And I would be remiss if we, we've gone through this entire episode and not talked about shoot, don't shoot scenarios. Uh, back in the ancient times when I was going through the Academy, we had plenty of those shoot, don't shoot sessions, automated, um, video driven, uh, t- even, even in, uh, mock, uh, city training at Hogan's alley, as it's called at, at the Academy. It's, it's, it's as important to know when not to shoot as it is to know when to shoot. Tell us about that kind of judgment training and what's done to instill a sense of when it's time to pull the trigger and when you, you should hold back. So, Frank, this is Rob. Um, All of the instruction that occurs for new agents in the FBI Academy, all is about judgment. It's all about whether or not to 
utilize a certain level of force, right? Every situation does not require deadly force and the agents need to be aware of that. Um, so whether it's practical applications unit where it's Hogan's Alley, where they're doing practical exercises, or it's in the physical training unit when they're doing defensive tactics training, they are taught about the escalation and de-escalation of force based on any given situation. So that is part of their curriculum from the day they arrive at the academy until the day that they graduate. Then specifically on shoot-don't-shoot scenarios, they have a legal class in which they all get the opportunity to sit in front of a simulated machine to look at a situation while holding a, um, a firearm, uh, a simulated firearm, and they go through an actual almost video game, if you will, scenario where they pick up on the different cues and decide whether or not this is a deadly force encounter. So, and that's done in conjunction with uh, Office of General Counsel and our legal training. Um, but again, throughout the entire academy, the most important thing we teach is the escalation and de-escalation and the proper use of both of those in everyday encounters. Yep. And as uh, Rich alluded to, you're, you're hiring coming in the door people who've already demonstrated uh, not only intellect, but tremendous judgment and maturity. And that becomes so essential in the softer skills of talking someone out of a violent encounter and resolving something uh, that could turn deadly um, in a manner that doesn't. Uh, as always, I like to say that every episode we do of this podcast, I learn something, and that's true for this episode as well. I'm grateful for the men and women of uh, your section, your unit, and the force multiplier that you become when you train class after class of new agents who hit the streets, keeping us safe, keeping themselves safe. Thanks for teaching us some things we didn't know. And go back and thank your teams for what they do. Rob, thanks for being here. Thanks, Frank. I appreciate the opportunity. Yep. And Richard, uh, thanks for sharing your knowledge, not only with us, but with each and every one of those new agent trainees. Thank you, Frank. It was my pleasure. Yep. You've been listening to The Bureau with Frank Figluzzi. We've been talking all things firearms, deadly serious topic that we're now more informed about. Join us next episode. Thanks for being a part of this rare glimpse into the FBI's firearms program. Consider yourself invited to our very special next episode when we open the door into the FBI's internal medals program and how the FBI recognizes its heroes among the heroes with its highest awards for bravery and valor. The Bureau is written by Frank Fagluzzi and executive produced by Allison Gill with sound design and editing by Molly Hockey with podcast art design by Johanna Coxeter. Music for The Bureau is written and composed by Peter Rydberg. The Bureau is a proud member of MSW Media Network, a collection of independent creator-owned podcasts focused on news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com.